Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We often hear statements about movement being medicine. Or if we could bottle physical activity, wouldn't it make a great pill? We hear a lot about the benefits of staying active, but how do we operationalize that? How much should we do? Of what particular type of activity? Finding the balance between overdoing this and maintaining joint function can sometimes be quite tricky. We strongly advocate for the role of physical activity, but oftentimes we don't explain well how to do that. The purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to dig down into that core treatment option of physical activity, unpack it a little bit, and hopefully make it so it's practical suggestions that you can operationalize to identify the benefits, but also hopefully give you tips around behavior change and prescriptions for making this part of your daily life. We take excerpts from previous episodes in an effort to try to distill that information into one compact episode that will give you this information. Walking can be an excellent form of exercise and physical activity for people with osteoarthritis. In season three, episode 14, we were joined by Grace Lowe to talk about walking and its role. It's a low impact and expensive and safe form of exercise for most people. But despite the benefits, many people with osteoarthritis are simply not doing enough. So we talked to Grace about walking and its role in preventing osteoarthritis, as well as the impact it has on progression of disease. She gives us some advice about what people can do when they're currently not meeting the recommended exercise of physical activity guidelines and want to start walking. More specifically, how many steps they should be aiming for and how they might track that. I think at the moment, the community perception for many people is that too much activity is not good for their osteoarthritis and the joint only has so many steps that it can use in its lifetime before it's likely to deteriorate. But in contrast to that, yours and other studies are really reinforcing the fact that this is not making the disease progress. It's not making your symptoms worse if you've got symptoms. And if anything, the converse. Is that fair? Yes, I entirely agree. Yeah? Yes. So you obviously are 
quite clearly demonstrated in this in that people that don't have knee pain that do have osteoarthritis at least radiographically in their knee that this might appear to play a little bit of a preventative role in the progression of their disease yeah why why do you think that it's having that effect so this is just conjecture because I didn't actually look at this specifically, but I, I really think that it's a, you know, it's easier to maintain your joint than it is to fight an uphill battle after you've already sort of lost your muscle mass and you've lost your strength and you've lost your ability to, you know, know where your knee is very well, the proprioception sort of aspect. And so I think that it's about maintenance, right? It's the general idea that daily maintenance is, uh, is the key, I think. You mentioned, Grace, that Obviously, people with osteoarthritis are, I guess, substantially under what the guidelines would recommend. What proportion, roughly, based on the, the literature that's out there in terms of the, the percentage of people actually meeting the recommended guidelines for physical activity with osteoarthritis? It's like 10 to 15%. So, yeah, lots and lots of room uh, for improvement, as, as you said. Now, tell us a little bit about your study and what previous studies have shown with regards walking in osteoarthritis and what you've actually found? So there have been some small randomized controlled clinical trial studies that look at short amounts of walking, and they do find some benefit from the perspective of reducing pain and increasing function and decreasing the amount of pain medications that people use. But they're very short-term studies, and um, they don't look at people over sort of several years or look at people's behavior over a longer period of time. And so that is a big difference to what we're looking at here. So those small clinical trials did show benefit. There is also a study that was done in Australia that gets um, reported a lot that looked at people who walked 10,000 steps as the cutoff. And what they found is that there were some MRI changes amongst people who exceeded the 10,000 step mark that made people concerned that there might be some harm that's occurring in people who walked, you know, sort of a larger quantity. And so I think that's really generated a lot of concern with respect to potential harms that are occurring with walking. Yeah. So let's dig in a little bit further and hopefully provide some more practical suggestions for people that do have osteoarthritis. And I appreciate that, you know, other studies have looked at the volume of steps, you've looked at minutes and the duration over which people have walked. How do you find out if they are meeting the recommendations? And if they're not, what advice do you give to them in terms of starting walking? So I guess, to be honest, I don't normally like strategize specifically about looking at overall physical activity guidelines, but I, I feel like that our message here is to just get out and walk however you can. And so I, I don't think that there's actually enough data to really support giving specific recommendations about how much you should walk for your knee away. But we already know that there's lots of physical activity guidelines for lots of other reasons. And it doesn't seem harmful from an OA perspective. So I guess that's the way that I would put it. I think that it, it makes sense to sort of follow the guidelines that are already out there for physical activity. I think if you have uh, knee osteoarthritis, using a choice of walking as um, an activity to do is potentially additively beneficial. So that's a good reason to, to choose that particular activity. Uh, th that's kind of the way that I would look at it. And I think that, to be honest, we actually looked at people dichotomously, like just yes, no walker, and then also 
with some higher level of detail as far as how much people walked in, like the volume of walking, it didn't make anything worse. There was a suggestion maybe that the, the amount of walking that people did might be a little beneficial. Nothing was statistically significant. That's why we ended up leaving that part out of the paper. But, you know, I think that a clinical trial to really look at the benefits of walking from a longer term perspective, I think would be really great. And I think, you know, really in this day and age where we have all of these devices and we have our smartphones and they're tracking us all the time. I mean, this is a really great opportunity to start thinking about how to mobilize those technologies to get people to be more active and to do more walking. Great suggestions. As you say, I think the key thing here is actually having the motivation to get up and just start walking. And, you know, I think that volitionally is probably the most important thing in the first instance. And then, you know, set yourself some goals around what it is that you that you want to do. And there are wonderful ways out there, whether it be through wearables, a smartphone, or different things to track your activity. Now, people with osteoarthritis are often encouraged to exercise and stay physically active. But what does the evidence say about running? If you have knee osteoarthritis, you might be wondering if it's safe to continue. So we're joined by Christian Barton, season three, episode 16, to talk about this really important topic, one that I often get asked about, and one that I think potentially may be germane to many of you. So what's the relationship between running and knee osteoarthritis? If you have knee osteoarthritis and you're a runner, is it safe to continue running? Are there any specific populations of people that we might advise against running? And what advice Christian might give to someone looking to increase their physical activity or to start running? What's the specific relationship here between running and if if you've got any data on it, running loads or intensity and the development of knee osteoarthritis? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really difficult question to answer. And I think researchers grapple with this. What we know from the research is that running is probably not detrimental to joint health, both hip and knee osteoarthritis for that matter. And so I I might just re-emphasize what Christian's just said there. Running is not detrimental to joint health, because I think that's the key message I want to get across today. And then I'll stop interrupting and let you continue. No, I think that's good, David. We could probably stop the podcast now, except <laughs> but the point that you made is that there's this common perception in society that running is bad for your joints. And, and so I think we need to dive deeper to understand why what we're saying is really important. And so when we look at the research, there was a nice systematic review published in 2017 by um, a group, and the names escaped me for a second, Alterna Jelly. And so basically this looked at recreational runners, elite runners, and then non-runners. And so it collapsed a lot of data from about 30 different trials and it's cross-sectional. And what it showed is the rates of arthritis of the hip and knee were much lower in recreational runners. And people always ask me, well, what's a recreational runner? And the challenge with that is it's really vague in a lot of the research. And so the best way to think about it is probably someone who's running three or four times a week. They might be running five or 10 kilometers, but they're not getting too competitive. And so the, the rates of arthritis in that population is around about 3 or 4%. So it's quite low. If we compare that to non-runners, the rates of arthritis, when they're matched for age and sex and a whole range of other things, jumps up to around 10 to 11%. And then if we look at elite runners, so those who might be getting really competitive, they're running internationally, running in competitions for money. And what we see in that population is that the rates jump up to around 13%. 
So recreational running seems like it could be a sweet spot for being not dangerous to your tissue health, but actually protective against a condition like osteoarthritis. We don't have great long-term perspective studies to look at this, so we can only rely on some of this cross-sectional research. But nonetheless, that is pretty compelling and certainly conflicts with the, the common belief that running might be detrimental. And one of the ways to think about why that might be the case is to really consider how tissue health is optimised when it comes to cartilage. So we, we see in osteoarthritis, cartilage might thin over time, and we also see changes to that structure. Now, you mentioned going into space, and we certainly do see that when people go to space, their cartilage thins, but people who sit on the couch, their cartilage also thins faster as well. What's really important to understand about cartilage and, and osteoarthritis is that the nutrients for the cartilage come from the synovial fluid, and, and that synovial fluid needs a stimulus to turn over and, and there needs to be a stimulus to, to improve nutrient flow into that area. So when someone is inactive, what actually happens is the nutrients called proteoglycans in the collagen matrix, and think of your cartilage like a sponge, the, the density or the concentration of those nutrients is less when you're not loading the joint. And so what that means is the, the sponge, and this is what I talk to patients about, isn't able to absorb water so easily. So when we run and we do activities and we load our joints, the water in that sponge or that cartilage is really important for allowing us to absorb loads and to do activities. And over an activity, that sponge actually thins out because some of the water content comes out. Now, if it's got a high concentration of nutrients in it, then it's able to absorb that water content really quickly and recover quickly so we can do the next activity. If it's low in concentration, that it takes a long time to recover and we can overload very easily. So that running stimulus or recreational running stimulus in my mind, most likely optimizes that. Now, this is me speculating and joining lots of dots together. Um, I think there's a lot more work we need to do in that space. But certainly based on the evidence, recreational running is probably, in my mind, protective against osteoarthritis. Yeah, no, I think it's really important just to restate that, that running does not appear to cause osteoarthritis, at least from a recreational standpoint, at least based on the data, that Christian, that you're just suggesting there. The rates of development of osteoarthritis are about four times less than if you're sedentary or, or not active. And I think that's really, really important to clear up that misconception that this appears, at least running appears to cause osteoarthritis, which it, it doesn't. Now, obviously, it's a potentially a little bit different as opposed to what we've just been talking about, which is really the development of osteoarthritis. If you've got osteoarthritis of the knee, is it safe for people to continue running? Yeah, and that's, that's a really important question to consider, and we have a lot less research in this space. So we don't have great longitudinal studies, prospective studies of people who have osteoarthritis and, and continue to run and what happens to their tissue health. The limited research that we have would indicate that probably doesn't cause a more rapid progression in osteoarthritis. So that's really, really important. One of the things we know about or, or starting to emerge about people with osteoarthritis is I talked about the cartilage before losing some of its water content and that being important and needing to recover. In someone who has established osteoarthritis, the recovery is slower. So what actually happens is it takes longer for their cartilage health or, or their cartilage to, to reform and become thicker again. So that doesn't mean that running's harmful. What it means is we probably need to be a little bit more sensible of how much we load. So my common advice to people in the clinic is if you've got established osteoarthritis and your tissue health is not as good as it could be and structurally has changed, 
you might need to have more rest days. So it might be wise for you to avoid running consecutive days too often. So in clinical experience, most people can run three times a week, no problems. And many people get away of running four or five times a week without too many issues. There's very few people out there who can run six, seven times a day, unless they've adapted to that over a long period of time. So if someone's got osteoarthritis, that's definitely the case. So trying to keep them away from, from that side of things. So short answer to your question is I think it's quite safe to continue to run with osteoarthritis, but you need to have the preparation and capacity to do it. So one of the important things that I often talk to people about, there's two things to consider. Don't do too much too soon. So if you get into doing too much running, you haven't run for a while, you've got osteoarthritis, there's no doubt you'll get a pain flare. So you need to build up your capacity. And then once you're able to run, use it or lose it. So if you stop running and you have a few months off, don't think you're going to be able to just go back and run what you were running. And actually, in a lot of people who have established osteoarthritis, even two or three weeks off can make a really big difference to what their running capacity is. And that may be because of the tissue health perspective, maybe because having really optimal muscle strength and power to support running activities, and you might lose some of that quite quickly. So it could be a range of things. So it's definitely safe to continue running if you are running, but just making sure that you build that capacity slowly over time and just don't do too much yeah it's really really helpful and practical advice i think particularly with regards ensuring that people tailor their activity according to what their current load is and make sure that they manage manage that appropriately now i know you do a lot of well you spend rather a lot of time training other health professionals in running and running management and technique around that is there any particular group or health professional that you might point people towards who are looking for specific advice over and above what we're giving today? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you need to find someone who's got really good exercise prescription knowledge. So I talked to, I mentioned that word mechanotherapy before. So if you're seeing a health professional and going to them for a massage or just taping and hands-on treatment to help with your knee pain, and they're not providing you advice and guidance on how you can optimize your muscle strength and power and and also tissue resiliency more broadly, you're probably not going to optimize your capacity to do running. So seeing an exercise professional is really important. And so in Australia and most of the parts of the world, your two common professions there are going to be physiotherapists and exercise physiologists. They're probably the two key that you would see. And you want to see someone who can give you support and guidance around how to optimize your exercise prescription as well. So you can get a lot out of doing two or three exercise sessions a week for 20 or 30 minutes. You don't want to just grab some exercises off the internet because Runners World told you to do these three or four exercises. It's often quite sensible to see someone who would be able to identify that you need to target your quadriceps muscles, for example, and teaching you ways you can do that without stirring up your knee pain because there's different angles you can do exercises in different types of exercises you can do for your quads to help that. It might be that you need to target your hip or your calf muscles a little bit more and build some capacity there. You may already be really strong, but you don't have the ability to generate force quickly to absorb loads of running. So you might need some guidance on building in a plyometric program into, into your training and building the capacity. And a really simple piece of advice for both clinicians and people out there who are runners, going back to that mechanotherapy concept, you don't need a whole high volume of exercise loading to stimulate tissue changes. So as an example, in running, the first 90 seconds, you'll get osteogenic 
changes stimulated. And after that, you can run a marathon and there's no additional benefits to your bone density. And if we think about trying to build up resiliency of muscles and building muscle strength and power, you really only need to be doing three sets and they're only going to go for 20 or 30 seconds for around 10 repetitions, but they just need to be appropriately progressed and loaded in terms of intensity and rate of force development. And you can build muscle capacity by doing that, which makes you more resilient at running. So we mentioned the the myth about Running and knee osteoarthritis, we actually put a series of these in BJSM led by James Alexander, who's a master's student I work with. One of the other myths for runners is that endurance-based resistance training is more beneficial than high resistance and, and low repetition. So really thinking through that and talking to your health professionals about that's important. So find that expertise. And I think the other thing you can seek out, which is probably maybe less important, but can be really important in some instances, someone who can give you some good coaching and guidance around your running technique as well. And that's really helpful. So there's some key things we can look at from a running mechanics perspective that we can change and manipulate to reduce stress on your knee. But you really need to get guidance from someone who knows what they're doing so you don't cause yourself another injury. And I'll use a really tangible example for runners out there with knee pain. A lot of people are told to change their strike pattern. So get away from landing on your heels and go to a non-rear foot strike pattern. Now, logically, that makes sense for your knee because you're going to reduce the knee joint loading and people often find it quite beneficial. But if you don't have the capacity in your calf and in your foot and ankle, you're going to cause yourself a stress fracture or an Achilles tendon issue or a plantar heel pain issue. And so seeing someone who can, if that's something you want to change, who can guide you through the process of building that tissue resiliency and capacity to do it is important. And then adequately coaching you and instructing you to, to get there as well is important as well. That's superb advice and hopefully very practical and something that people out there can implement. And it's tremendous, tremendous news that based on the existing evidence that running is safe for people with knee osteoarthritis and it doesn't appear to accelerate progression. Now, obviously, that's the blanket rule of thumb, but are there any particular populations of people that you would advise against running? I think really anyone can run almost. I mean, as we get older, certainly as we get older and more frail, we will lose the capacity to run at some point in our lives if we're lucky enough to, to get to that age. I've seen and people who work in similar principles to me with running, retraining and exercise who work with brain injury patients and spinal cord injury patients. And it's so impressive watching what they do. And I've learned a lot from the neurological literature around how to manage runners. So when it comes to musculoskeletal injury, even quite traumatic car accidents, severe OA, pretty much anyone can be brought back to some form of running. And even if it's one or 200 meters for that stimulus to help with tissues is, is really helpful. One of my favorite patients is an 83-year-old gentleman who come and saw me at the age of 79. He hadn't run for a few years. He was considering a joint replacement surgery. If we grade his osteoarthritis, he's got medial tibiofemoral OA, grade three on a Calgary-Lawrence some reasonable patellofemoral joint away as well. Now we got him back to running and he's now 83. He comes and sees me every three or four months. And all he ever complains about is he can't run fast enough. He doesn't have pain anymore. He's completely fine from a pain perspective. And he does three or four runs a week. He does a park run every couple of weeks and he does a long run on the alternate fortnight of 10 to 15 Ks. So I always like to use him as an example for people. Away. If he can get back to running and, and run really well, and I've got a 40 or 50 year old middle-aged person in front of me, there's no reason their body can't adapt over time to be able to run. So that's really important. The caveat to that is some people will occasionally need a short period of time away from running. And it's often off the back of them doing too much running. So if we do too much running, we can, 
develop a condition called relative energy deficiency, and that can lead to all sorts of health implications um, for female athlete health, but also males and females when it comes to bone health as well. And so in some of those instances, we actually need to take them away from running a little bit and try and address some of those health issues and working with, with medicos to help with that side of things and dietitians. And then there's also the group who, and saw a lot of this in lockdowns, that go crazy and just do far too much running and end up with quite significant bone edema. Um, and this is really common in patellofemoral joints. So you might see someone who, and I've seen this multiple times in the last couple of years, particularly, they've gone and started trying to run 150, 200 kilometers a week off a reasonable base, but it just becomes too much. And they've got this bone edema that just doesn't settle down. So in some of these cases, we do need to give them a period of rest away from running so they can actually get some recovery. But at some point, they'd be able to go back to running. So long-term, I don't see very many reasons people can't run. Again, really, really positive and hopefully stimulates a lot of people out there to, at least if they're contemplating being more active, not fear being active in that regard. Now, Christian, we may have already touched upon some of this, but what advice, practical or otherwise, would you like to give for people out there with osteoarthritis looking to increase the physical activity or start running? So we've talked about running being safe and the key is to, to really just look at trying to get back to running if that's something you really want to do. I think what's important is really simple concept. You need to be able to walk before you run. So if you've been sitting on the couch and doing no physical activity, don't just go out and start trying to run. So in a lot of people, what I'd encourage them to do is start a walking program and it might just be doing five or 10 minutes walking each day. And then you, if you can build that up over the, over the space of one, two, three months to be doing 30 minutes each day, then every second day you might start to integrate some running into that. And you can start to do just a couple of minutes at a time and slowly build that up. And that's a really sensible way. If you do nothing else, don't worry about all the exercise stuff I talked about. Don't worry about looking at running mechanics. You'll probably be okay doing that. You might take longer to adapt. If you want to make it more efficient, then alongside doing that walking-based program, what you would try and do is work with an exercise professional and address any strength or muscle impairments that you might have to try and ensure that you've got optimal capacity to run. And before you start running, it's often sensible to start with some simple hopping, skipping, jumping type program to try and build up a little bit of capacity. So again, low volume, but gradually increasing your, your intensity of loading. So you're building that tissue resiliency. So your cartilage is not going to complain if you do five or 10 jumps on the spot every couple of days, it's going to be fine. And that's a nice way to reduce your fear of that impact loading. And then if you can work with an exercise professional to sensibly increase that loading and get to the point where you're doing decent hopping and plyometrics, you'll really build that capacity to get back to running. Now in the short term, if you're just going for a walk each day, you're probably not getting your heart rate up as much as you'd like to or your general health would benefit from. So what you might do is take up something non-impact initially. So looking at some cycling, swimming, those types of activities. But even then, you still need to be careful about how quickly you integrate into that. So the key is to not do too much too soon. And one of the best ways to monitor that with a history of knee osteoarthritis is not to avoid pain because we have to be honest, we we none of us can do exercise without some form of discomfort and without pain that's just what happens and what pain is is a protective mechanism to stop us damaging ourselves now in the context of osteoarthritis or long-term musculoskeletal condition we become sensitized and what that means is we don't have a high pain threshold like many people think they have they actually have a low pain threshold but a high pain tolerance so you're putting up with lots of pain and what happens is simple activities and even thinking about activities start to become painful. So we can't avoid pain. It's not possible. What we need to do is monitor the response after an activity that's really important. So we don't want to see pain escalating during an activity or a new exercise. 
And then ideally it settles within one or two hours after that activity. Definitely 24 hours later, we'd like to see that we're back to our day-to-day symptoms. So if it normally hurts to walk down the stairs, we don't want to see that pain increase walking down the stairs. If it normally hurts to squat down, we don't want to see that increase. So if we can do that and gradually increase our loading, you'll be off on the right track. And that's probably a really important process to go through. I think that's probably a really helpful point just to clarify, obviously, that short-term pain that you're talking about that may persist for an hour or two after the activity is probably fine. So if you're out there and you've been wondering about how to stay physically active, hopefully this gives you some tips and tricks for doing so. The intent here is to try to promote positive behaviors, to really put those core treatment options for osteoarthritis in your hands so you can operationalize them. We're hoping you found the content of today useful. Look forward to your ongoing support. Thank you so much for listening. And between now and when we next speak, please do take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.